Welcome to our Euro 2020 daily podcast. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min, although this is another one of our Euro 2020 shows. Really enjoy, uh, really enjoyed doing these over the course of the tournament so far and there are plenty more to come. And as usual, I'm joined uh, by my right-hand man, the brilliant Dan DeLuca. Dan, first of all, mate, how you doing? Yeah, really good. Good to, um, this stuff. So that's my third show in a row, making a making a habit. I know, I know. It's, uh, it's it's great to have you on, and it's great to have someone to um to to talk these things through with. And I know you said before we went live on air that um you know you you couldn't allow you couldn't bear the thought of someone podcasting on their own. I've kind of gotten used to it over the last couple of years, but it is obviously great to have a guest on, and it's great to be able to kind of bounce off points and and ideas and thoughts, and it's it's really good fun. Um, before we get into kind of the ins and outs of, of England versus Scotland. Dan's a Tottenham man. And I've got to ask Dan, why do you think it is that Gareth Southgate just doesn't want to pick Harry Kane at the moment? <laughs> yes. Get that in nice and early. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he took him off or bought him on. Um, I saw him by the sidelines at some point, but I mean, we can, I'll try and offer a tactical view on, on, on England's front four later in the show. And, um, and and try and unpick that situation because if England's best player isn't performing, then that's a problem. Um, and he isn't. Um, as a manager, you have to work out why. And England are going to have to work out why very quickly and make the right choice because um, 19 touches in a game isn't isn't if you if your forwards having 19 touches in a game and your star player, there's a problem there. Um, yeah. Taking him off is is perhaps a, is a good move from a manager if you're if you're confident enough to take off your your player who's not playing well, that's fine. That's a, probably a, a good promising thing. You want that from your manager. But if he's not going to work out why, then um, there's going to be problems ahead for England. But maybe we'll get to touch on that later on if um, if, uh, if the time allows. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll, we'll get into all of that. And let's kick off by uh, discussing the team that Gareth Southgate picked. Because I think most people, you know, off the back of that, win against Croatia. I don't want to say an impressive win because I didn't really think it was that impressive. And I've I've taken a lot of heat from that on, on the various shows I've been on, people saying to me, um, you know, why are you being so negative? And I, I wasn't being negative. It was just, you know, I, I think you've got to be able to look at a game and and say, yes, great, we got the result, we move on, we take the three points forward, but equally be able to understand where you need to improve. It's the only way you get better. And going back to that Croatia game, um you know, Gareth Southgate picked the side that, that sparked a lot of debate and he made two changes to the starting eleven this time around. Luke Shaw coming in for Kieran Trippier at left back and Reese James replaced Kyle Walker at right back. Now, a lot of people that I've spoken to since the game have been talking about uh, the fullbacks and how ineffective they were. Um, I mean, considering that everybody was kind of hammering Gareth Southgate in the build-up to the Croatia game for the fact that he'd left 
Reese James out, who'd played so well in the Champions League final just a few weeks prior. And then the fact that he played a right back at left back. It didn't really make much difference having those two guys in the team. You could argue that they were actually less effective. Yeah, they 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 were. Um, they were less effective. They were less effective in an attacking sense. Um, and Scotland, Scotland played a surprising game. I expected them to come out fast. They did, but then that stopped a little bit earlier than I thought. I thought you'd get thirty minutes of Scotland going absolutely berserk. After about ten minutes, England took over. But you didn't get you didn't get the forwards crossing the, the the halfway line too much or having much impact in an attacking sense. In fact, the only time I recall um, a fallback in the, in the final third or, or the final 25 yards of the pitch, if you like, was um, Luke Shaw, where he then decided there was no one to cross to. So he hit an absolutely horrendous left-footed shank um, that almost went out for a throw-in. So <laughs> you didn't... And that this has tied into the, to, to the, whole, the whole game for me tactically. So if I'm England, I look at it and I say... Who's my best player? It's Harry Kane. He's my striker. He scored goals consistently for seven years, wherever he's been. So how do I get him playing and what does that look like? Um, and then I look at who my best playmaker is and then I work out how I get him playing and what that looks like. And then I put the other pieces of the jigsaw around those two. Um, Harry Kane is not playing well for whatever reason, which we're getting get onto. And the best playmaker for me in terms of chance creation is Jack Grealish. And he sat on the bench. So this is this for me is a fundamental problem. So what we end up with is we end up with Foden, who I did say on yesterday's pod, not because he's a bad player. He was probably still one of the better players on the pitch of the attacking four. He was the one who got subbed off, ironically. But that particular game, I didn't feel needed that type of character, a slight, skillful sort of player. We knew the type of game it was going to be. So what we end up with is Foden, who's sort of cutting in naturally, um, filling the number 10 role. You've then got Sterling, who is completely ineffective. Mount who stays in the middle anyway. You've then got two defensive midfielders who aren't being pinned back. So one of them naturally comes forward. And then you've got Kane who's not getting the ball from out wide. So he naturally comes backwards. So you end up with a cluster of five players in this central area. That's bad. That is bad. That is shrinking the pitch and making you easy to defend against. That's how your forward ends up with 19 touches. If you end up in that position, which is bad, the only way to counter it is to get that whip from somewhere else. Because that whip pulls the defensive stature of the opponent apart from that little cluster you've created. And then it means one or two of those five players can get that space. Southgate mentioned afterwards that he brought Kane off because he needed more runs in behind. That makes sense. That's that's what he's decided to do. OK, but actually, in, in reality, what you need to do is create the space for those runs in behind. And to create those space, you need that width to pull those defensive, the defensive structure of the opponent apart. And this is where Southgate's got it wrong. So, what Southgate needs to decide is how is he going to how is he going to approach the attacking dilemma? How is he going to create the space for the forward? Or if the forward drops back because he's not getting the ball and frustrated, if the forward doesn't play well or doesn't score goals, that's okay if someone else is. So the reason Song Hyun Min has scored so many goals for Tottenham is because Kane has dropped back, pulled people out of position, and Son has come in from behind. So if Kane is not going to get any joy, and Kane is still going to play, and that's not a guarantee, um, but if Kane drops, Kane needs to then drop back, but he needs to drop back and create a space for someone else. If he's dropping yeah. back into the same space that someone is, you're going to achieve nothing in any area. And this is why Southgate, for me yesterday, when he took Kane off, which I'm fine with, um, he should have been thinking about 
putting Calvert Lewin in, who offered something different in the air, yeah. putting on putting on Sancho for Sterling at the same time and creating more width. Um, he made changes that were like for like in terms of in terms of tactics. He needed to change both, and that that's that's my theory. And where the fullbacks come in, which is how this started, he's brought in two fullbacks that didn't offer anything going forward for whatever reason, and and they were two changes that contributed to England's flat performance, in my in my opinion. If that makes sense. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I actually wrote a piece yesterday on um, on Jaden Sancho, uh, which was, uh, yeah, it was published on 90min.com. I'll just share it with you guys uh, on the screen for those of you who did, maybe didn't see it. But I talked about why, in my opinion, Jaden Sancho could have been the key to actually beating Scotland. And it was about what, largely about what you said, Dan, uh, with regards, you know, to the width. You know, they, England needed the width, in my opinion, uh, to kind of pull apart this three-man Scottish defence, which was going to become a five-man defence, obviously went out of possession. But you need that width to pull them apart. They want to stay compact. They want to stay as a three. That's why they're playing that way. And the minute you start pulling them apart and giving Robertson, for example, something to think about and giving Kieran Tierney a dilemma as to whether or not he should be coming out to confront somebody that's when you pull them apart and you create spaces, spaces for the likes of Kane and anybody kind of bursting forward from midfield. And again, you know, Jaden Sancho completely overlooked. I think when we were going into the tournament, I think the big sort of clamour around England was about their centre-backs and how they weren't good enough. Well, actually, probably to be fair to them, you know, they've they've exceeded expectations. They've They've kept two clean sheets. But what the team hasn't done is be able to create chances and good chances at that with any real regularity. And, you know, I, I was absolutely battered on social media after the Croatia game for saying that Calvin Phillips, um, and, and listen, Calvin Phillips was not the only one. It, the reason I pick out, I picked out Kevin, uh, Calvin Phillips this time around is because he was the one I got stick for because I said that what he brought to the game against Croatia was a physicality, was a presence that the likes of Modric, Kovacic, etc. They just couldn't, couldn't cope with. He was that superior to them in that department that it made him stand out and it allowed England to grab a foothold in the game. But I always questioned whether against the side who were capable of matching that physicality, like the Scots were, if he would if he would be as effective and he was completely ineffective yesterday in my opinion you know you 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 talk about two deep lying midfield players and you're talking about Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice and Declan Rice is okay you know i i don't really think he's as good as some of the hype that follows him um, and the same can be said for Calvin Phillips but none of them will set the tempo for the team none of them will do what Jorginho does, just as an example for Italy, where he gets the ball in those deep positions and he keeps it moving. He keeps recycling it. He's got the tactical awareness to drop into the right holes, but equally, you know, knows when to be progressive, when not to be progressive and keeps things ticking. Calvin Phillips isn't going to do that. Declan Rice isn't going to do that. And, you know, I thought that, you know, that was one of England's biggest problems, not being able to build from those yeah. areas. Yeah, England England don't have that player unless unless Jordan Henderson is fit enough to do it. Okay, Jordan yeah. Henderson next to one of the two. Now the fact that I would pick Dame um, Damian Rice, he's a fucking singer. Um, <laughs> the fact the fact that I would pick Rice is you know that's my personal choice. But this is what we're talking about here. I mean, I'm not a football manager. I'd like to think if I managed England, that I'd done a better job yesterday. But but 
what we're talking about here is high level tactics that are the difference between playing in a tournament and winning it. So with England, historically, the hysteria gets too much. Actually, in the general context of things yesterday, a nil nil draw is a perfectly good point. Let's not make a great big deal about it and move on. But I've seen concerns in the tactical structure of this side. That means later on, unless it's addressed, they're going to get exposed. And the best thing that can happen to England at this point is they draw with Czech Republic. They get through in second place. They have an easier next round game and they have another game to work out what they're going to do. Because already now Southgate has gone from perfect preparations to not knowing what he's going to do. If Rashford scored last night when he came on, he didn't for reasons we've discussed. It was exactly the same setup. What on earth was Southgate going to do next week? What on earth was he going to do? He would ha- he would be having sleepless nights then. Do I then start Rashford? Do I drop Kane? Do I play this formation? He- he's all over the place. He needs now a point to guarantee qualification. Let's face it, they've qualified anyway. So yeah. if they win against Czech Republic, they win the group. The price for winning the group is not pretty at this point. If I was Southgate now, I would de-risk all the noise. I wouldn't just drop Kane. I wouldn't just drop Sterling. I wouldn't just drop Mount. All three of them were equally horrendous, by the way. I would drop that entire front four for the next game and I would bring them on into the fold into the second half. And I would I would completely take all the pressure away and all the difficult conversations he's going to have to deal with. I would use the second half and an easier second round game, which is no guarantee beating anyone at this level, obviously, to work out what he's going to do when the big teams come hit him. Otherwise, this, this tournament is going to pass England by really, really quickly. So for me, it's Henderson, if he's fit enough, needs to play in that role. Because England don't have that natural player anymore, like Jack Wilshere. Jack Wilshere is the player we're describing here. Can sit deep, can tick the ball forward. And when the spaces open up and and the license is granted, he can go forward and be effective in the, in the final third as well. England don't have that player. So the only other option is, while you've got weaker opposition, to work out how it's going to work in reality is you drop Mount back in there. You drop Mount back in there. And then you can either move Foden into Mount spot, where he'd be more effective than Mount. Sorry, but you will be. Or you start Grealish, who would be more effective than Mount. Sorry, but you will be. I'm not saying Mount's a bad player, but this is what Southgate needs to be thinking if he's not already, in, my, just, in my view. Yeah, it's, it's about finding the right profile of players for the right positions and to do the jobs that you, you, know, you, want, them, you want them to be doing. Let's go over to the live comments. Let's say a big hello to former Arsenal man and absolute legend, Kevin Campbell, who's watching us live. How you doing, Kevin? Hope you're well, mate. He says, England just aren't that good. And until we start playing all the naturally gifted players like Jack Grealish and Jaden Sancho, we're going nowhere. Um, Luke says, playing Rice and Phillips in the same team consistently, says all you need to know about <coughs> Southgate. Hasn't got a clue. Uh, Hotcake says, Harry, Kelvin, Calvin Phillips is that player. Everything goes through him at Leeds. You couldn't have watched Leeds. Everything goes through Calvin Phillips at Leeds because Calvin Phillips is the only one in that midfield who plays just in front of the back four. He goes and collects the ball from the back four. Leeds play with a 4-1-4-1. That's why it works. The point here is that if you're going to play Declan Rice, you need somebody who is more of a tempo setter, in my opinion, who's a bit more, who has a bit more guile about him playing alongside Declan Rice. It's not that Calvin Phillips is a bad player. It's that the combination of the two doesn't work. It's that you're missing a key ingredient that, in my opinion, every midfield needs, which is to be able to set the tempo of a game. And if you're asking Calvin Phillips to play alongside Declan Rice and Declan Rice is occupying all the spaces in which Calvin Phillips is most effective, then that midfield pairing doesn't work. And I, I keep I keep saying it. I keep going back to Calvin Phillips because 
when I said last week that he wouldn't be effective against the side with the physicality of Scotland, I was completely <laughs> annihilated by Leeds fans. I would say the same thing if he played for Chelsea, if he played for Tottenham, if he played for Manchester United. If he, it does, it's irrelevant who he plays for. That's the point here. Um, I think I think with with assessments of poor England performances, what often happens is people will pick on the player that suits whatever has been said previously, whatever their outlook is or whatever their mindset is or some places where they support. So a lot of people yesterday are looking at that and saying, well, Kane was terrible. Some people I'm looking at it and I'm saying Sterling was terrible. Um, this guy's looking at it. He's saying um, this player was terrible. The fact with the problem we've got here, if one player is terrible, that's fine. You can replace him with another player. We, this is not, this is a system. So to respond to what hot cakes has, has kind of said, there was that the Kevin Campbell, by the way, the Kevin Campbell. Yep, 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 yep. Of course. The, the only Kevin Campbell. <laughs> Big Kev. Um, so um, to respond to what, what Hotcakes has said there, um, this is going to sound obvious. If you play through someone, you've then got to go through that person to someone else. The clue's in the title. You play through Phillips. Phillips is the go-between between Leeds' back four and Leeds' next players. And they've got fast players on the wing and options in the middle. But what you've got to decide, this is Leeds. Leeds going through Calvin Phillips. Brilliant. Does this England squad want to go through Calvin Phillips or do they want to go through someone else? I suggest the answer is the latter. Who is that someone else? Work out who that is. Then build the pieces around that person. OK, because because Calvin Phillips is not the main man in this England squad that you want to you want to build. You want to build around. I can assure you it's probably Jack Grealish who's not playing. It might be Phil Foden and up front. It should be Harry Kane. Work that out. Work that out. We're not building a tournament in an international an international side in a tournament around Calvin Phillips because he does well for Leeds in a very, very aggressive side. That approaching a tournament in the way Leeds approach Premier League matches would get you to a certain point. And it's not as far as this England team has been hyped up to go. So that's what I would say. To, I would say to that comment. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, big hello to DJ Funks. He says, Harry, you made it for the show, you party animal. Yes, I was out last night. He says, good to see you last night. I'm back at the venue to pack up the DJ gear and you're helping the process go easier. Keep it up. Cheers, mate. And uh, top work last night, as always. Uh, what else have we got here in terms of your comments? Get some questions in because uh, there are quite a few comments coming through. Get some questions in and we'll, we'll do a little bit more chat and then we'll come and take some of those uh, live on the show. Remember to put a little cue at the beginning of the question. It just helps me pick them out from the chat a little bit easier. We've kind of sat here and we've pulled apart England and we've talked about the problems and, and what's not worked for, for Gareth Southgate thus far. And, you know, I think... There is, you know, there is a lot of truth in what you said about England, perhaps, although they wouldn't admit it publicly, maybe preferring to finish second in the group. You can't go into games, though, with that mentality, no. can you? You can't. No, you can't. But, I mean, we're criticising England, and I've criticised them a lot on this show tactically, and it's because the English mentality in tournaments has always been we have to win every game and look perfect. If this wasn't Scotland, then it wasn't at Wembley. You know, if it was, let me pick a team, if it was Croatia away in a different country, we'd be walking off and saying, well, that's a good point. We've got four points. The remit is to qualify. You can't try and manipulate whether you finish first or second because that's a dangerous business. I'm just saying the problem you're going to have is if people start panicking about 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 the outcome. Do you know what I mean? If people start panicking because the, England have enough points, what they haven't convinced me is there is a direction that is going to take them into the further stages. And I think if they do finish second, they will benefit massively. 
by no means should they go out and deliberately try and try and do that because the consequences of doing that can be um can be quite damaging um but it's just um it's just a theory that other countries often i mean italy's but my normal comparison because that's who i who i you know i've grown up supporting due to my, my family heritage but to italy the remit is just to get through you know england have enough points to get through job done but yeah. but now what are they going to do yeah they are but, they are going through they are going through let's not um let's not sort of make it into a disaster that it isn't you know they they are going through um stevie in the chat says uh please stop blaming the coach uh england players are not good enough wake up it's <clears throat> arrogant english fans with no european history and they expect things he says you're not a big international nation history proves it and do you know what stevie i actually agree with you i i always say this every time we go into a tournament every time you know a tournament is around the corner the hype around england always outweighs what the actual expectation should be. And I'd imagine it's probably the same in, in so many other countries, but because we're here in England and because we're subjected to, if you like, the English media every day, perhaps we feel it a little bit more. But you're right in terms of what England have achieved as a nation at football at the highest level is not very high. It's, it's not very much. And, and yeah. I always say this, Stevie, um, so I completely, uh, completely yeah, agree with you. I, I agree with him in part, if we're going to say the players aren't good enough, then we need to go a bit further and say which players aren't good enough. And then that's only comparative to the opponents. So England are not as good as France. That's easy. Um, Belgium haven't got any European history. Would you say that means they're arrogant and they're not going to win and they've underachieved the previous performance? You know, we look at the England squad. Let's have it right. From an attacking perspective, player for player, that front four is the second or third best front four in the tournament player for player so which which players aren't good enough we need to expand on that a little bit if we're going to take that view so you know i don't mind saying it i don't support england you know my family are italian i i, I i've always supported italy i've never supported england i don't particularly want them to win i don't particularly care i but from a tactical perspective we always have these throwaway comments in the extremes england have either got the best players in the world in some parts including the media which contributes to the hype or when there's a result that doesn't go well, all the players are suddenly terrible. These aren't terrible players, okay? We've got Phil Foden, who's one of the best young players in Europe and probably one of the best players in Europe this season and is is on course to become a top five or ten player in the world. He's in the squad, okay? Harry Kane is the second best striker in the tournament, okay? Um, Lewandowski, who is the best striker in the tournament, has never scored a goal in a tournament for similar reasons as we discussed tactically earlier, okay? Okay. Um, Olivier Giroud went to the last World Cup and won it. He didn't score a goal. You know, no one come back and said he's a terrible footballer. So there are players in there. There are a couple of midfielders like Rice and Phillips who don't stack up. And there are some players in the midfield positions that Harry's touched on earlier in the show who don't do not stack up technically. So there are a couple of weapons from the armory that are missing from the overall squad. Um, so I don't mind if someone wants to come out and say, England's players aren't technically good and that shows them up in certain situations, that's fine. But to come out on blanket say the players aren't good enough, that I don't agree with. So if the players aren't if the players are good enough, which in my mind they are good enough to get to the semi-final of this tournament and then anything can happen, if they are good enough, where do I look? I do look at the coach and I've tried to explain what I feel the coach has done wrong yesterday. And actually, if we're saying then there are some technical elements missing. This was a 26-man squad, not a 23-man squad. So if the coach hasn't picked the best player available 
that holds that competency, then I put that down to the coach as well. And I don't want to give Southgate a hard time. I praised him after Croatia because he got everything right. Mm. Actually, last night he didn't. And as a tournament goes on, I need convincing that he's going to do the same. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Did, how much credit does Scotland deserve here? Because I thought, you know, it was a difficult night for Scotland because they'd come down and, and their fans were incredible, by the way. They they took over London yesterday, but they, they came down, didn't get a desirable result necessarily against the Czech Republic in their first game, would have obviously preferred to have taken something from that. And there was a need for at least a point here. Um, three would have been ideal. I, I thought it was going to be tough for Scotland to kind of find the right balance between trying to achieve what they needed, but equally understanding that in terms of technical ability, uh, England were, were superior and they would have to play a slightly different game. Um, I thought that Steve Clark actually probably got the balance quite right. And I think they actually had some decent chances. So I think Scotland deserves some praise. Yeah, I mean, they do. They got what they came for, didn't they? They came to they came to to spoil England's day and win if they could as a bonus. Um, they set up well. They made changes. The changes they made worked. Um, Billy Gilmore, particularly, who had a brilliant game in in midfield in terms of keeping the ball, and they tried to get forward. They had more shots in England for what that's worth. Um, obviously, there's a shot and then there's a shot, isn't there? But they had more, so that that kind of demonstrates they tried to. They tried to aggressively attack the goal when they got the opportunities and they had a couple of decent half chances as well, which could have stolen them a result. I do think it's easy to criticise England and not praise Scotland. I do think there were elements of the way Scotland set up that would have left them exposed um, if England had had pressed the right buttons at the right times. But But so what? Where it goes wrong for Scotland for me is actually a nil-nil result keeps them in the tournament but it doesn't really do them enough. And I thought after the game, the celebrations were a little bit over-exuberant for the occasion. If you replace England there with, I don't know, an equivalent country in terms of in terms of the betting and history, let's say Belgium, if if, if they got that same nil-nil draw against Belgium, the, the celebrations would have been slightly muted. So that tells me for Scotland, the occasion of playing and ruining England's day is more important than the occasion of playing in the major tournament they've waited 28 years or 23 years to qualify for. And it kind of reminded me after all was said and done, Scotland deep down still don't feel they belong at this level. And, and they need to address that quickly. If you're playing in a tournament, a team is a team. It doesn't matter who you're playing against. Forget the rivalry, the history and the Battle of Hadrian's War. I'm not interested. OK, you've come down. You've got a good nil-nil draw against a better nation. But that's only a point and it's not enough. And and I just worry that everything Scotland have done and been building for was all around this game once a draw was made. And they're in a group and they've got to play against a Croatia type side who aren't at their peak. And they've got an opportunity to go and win it. And I kind of hope that they stop thinking about yesterday really quickly. Does that make sense? So start focusing on the next game. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I get where you're coming from. I think, you know, Scotland, I think they would have been pr quite happy if they could finish the group with four points and, and they still are, are in with a chance to do that. And what I would say is they looked much more solid on, with Kieran Tierney in the team. And I'm not just saying this from an Arsenal perspective. I think yeah, they he did. Made, he made the world of difference to that back line. Um, you know, he's a top, top player. If he can stay fit, you know, he'll go on to be 
uh, a very good defender. And, and obviously there's there's rumours and reports that he's very close to signing a new five-year contract with Arsenal, which is obviously great news. But I thought he made an immense difference. I thought you, you mentioned Gilmore there. I thought McGinn, McTominay, um, you know, these players are, as I keep saying, they were able to match England's physicality in the middle of the park. They never shied away from the battle and they essentially shone a light on the lack of technical ability that maybe England have in those two deeper line midfield positions. But, you know, Scotland are still in with a shout, a win over a, an, a not very good Croatian side. We've got to be honest, I watched them yesterday uh, again against the Czech Republic and I, again, I wasn't overly impressed by them. Um, I think the Czech Republic were, were kind of given a hard time going into the tournament and have actually surprised a few people. Uh, but, you know, Scotland's tournament is not over yet, but I think you're right. I think it, the, the focus needs to shift straight to that game. It needed to have shifted to that game the minute the final whistle went at Wembley. And, and you do wonder if those kind of celebrations or the kind of feeling of, yeah, it's job done is going to be a problem for Steve Clark. I think he's got to get them focused and turn that mentality around immediately because it's a huge game against Croatia. Yeah, I, I'm sure I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. But he, he's got to do it quickly. And as a nation, you know, this is this can't be a one off. And I'm gonna I know it's an Arsenal show. I'm gonna make a little link to Tottenham. I understand why Scotland's fans celebrated as they have. I understand why. And when Tottenham won the Champions League semi final, I said this to you, didn't I? I completely understand why, and I know why we felt that way. But the minute you have people crying on the pitch at full time and all this talk of, well, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity stuff, what you're basically saying is we're going to a Champions League final, but we don't really belong there. And what happens yeah. is, is you lose. And not only do you lose, the defeat hurts. And then you spend one year, two years, three years, four years, who knows how many years it's going to take to recover from that moment. And what I'm saying is, Tottenham, Scotland, other equivalents in the scenario I'm describing to you. Celebrate quickly, then stop celebrating. Get about your business and turn up for the next game properly. Because if you don't, you will lose, it will hurt, and it will be another 20, 23, 25 years before you're ready to come back. And if there's Scottish fans listening, I'm sorry, but that's how it is. And I'm living that very experience right now, watching Tottenham, <laughs> watching spent, watching Tottenham spend two two months trying to appoint a manager. This is what I'm saying about the celebrations. I'm not being a party pooper. I'm not being Roy Keane and miserable. This is facts. You either belong at a tournament or you're there for a party. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And um, yeah, so you know, credit to Scotland. I thought you know they were very good and they did what they needed to do and and they played with a real passion and fight. I don't think anybody's ever questioned that when those Scottish players pull on that shirt, you know, it means the world to them. And I would actually argue that it probably means more to them than it does to to some of those England players. And I think you saw that last night. Is, it, is that fair? Yeah, I think so. But it's it's the underdog mentality, isn't it? It's a siege mentality. It's, um, you know, if you're, if you're raising, if you're on your way up, you're stepping up a level, you're an underdog, you're away from home, you're a smaller country in the United Kingdom. Obviously, I, I live in Wales now. It's a very similar mentality. It's a... It's the David versus Goliath, and this is how much it means to us because of, you know, because of history. So you do get that little bit extra, and normally what happens is the quality shines through, and that isn't enough. Um, last night, that didn't happen for England for reasons yep. that we, we've, we've well and truly covered. Yep, for sure. Let's quickly go over to the live comments before we wrap it up. Luke says, realistically, England should be beating the likes of Scotland 3 or 4 nil. Reason we... 
reason we never was down to poor management, wrong team selection, poor subs, terrible tactics. Simple as that, really. He's named about five reasons and then said simple as that. Love it. <laughs> uh, Billy Boy says, England are like Man U. Great squad on paper, but a tactically inept coach who's way out of his depth. Outpressed and outfought by Scotland. And we were just waiting for a moment of magic to happen. Um, <laughs> just that's fair. Yeah, it, it is fair. It is fair. Um, and uh, Josh Hunter says Scotland gave it their all. They absolutely did. Right. Let's see uh, what's going on here, because I can see right now there are over 100 of you watching us across the various platforms uh, live at the minute. And there'll be plenty more tuning in later. Uh, to watch it back or to listen to it back. But where are we in terms of likes? Well, we've only got 16 likes. So hit that like button. It really, really does help the channel. It really does help the podcast. Uh, let's try and get it up to 50 at least by the time the outro plays. So get on it. Hit the like button. Doesn't cost you a thing. If you wish to support the channel by becoming a member, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. And if you're not subscribed already, uh, then please do that too. If you're listening via the audio, leave us a review and we'll be back very, very soon. Uh, full day of European football action for us to enjoy today. And I don't know about you, Dan, but I plan on uh, vegetating on the couch all day and just enjoying the football. What more could you want? Right, we'll catch you all very soon. Until next time, take care of yourselves and stay safe. All the best. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.